Indeed, it is a pleasure to be here in Moody'sburn. Perhaps I could do a few um, advertisements, announcements, whatever you want to call them, uh, and get those over the ro- out of the road first of all. We have prayer letters with us. Please take one there on the table as you go on out. Please take one. Uh, remember some prayer uh, as we go forward with the Lord. We have prayer cards. If you'd like to, to follow us, remember some prayer, take a look at us. Um, if you've got mice or anything in the house, please take an extra one. Uh, you'll be able to scare them away, but please put it up somewhere uh, where, where you can uh, pray for us. If you'd like to get our prayer letter um, four times a year as it comes out, there's a place in the back of the card to fill that in. If the Lord touches your heart in some way tonight and you'd like to uh, follow us and support us financially, once again there's a place uh, to do that. There's the Action Magazine belonging to the mission. Please take that uh, and read and pass it on to other folks uh, to see what the Lord's doing around the world. This wee booklet, and I'll explain more about Men for Missions as uh, we go on through the night, but uh, this wee booklet uh, has been entitled, We Will Serve. Joshua 24, verse 15, since Audrey and I got married, has been on our minds, on our hearts, and we as a, a husband and wife have tried to live by Joshua 24, 15. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We're coming up to our 25th anniversary. I know you'll look and say, that boy's far too young. But I got married whenever I was a child bride. But we're 25 years married next July. We will serve. Men for Missions is 60 years of age throughout the world. But this year also is 45 years from it was founded in the United Kingdom. Men, if you come tomorrow night, you'll hear, or Monday no, Tuesday night, you'll hear more. But for you ladies, Men for Missions is 45 years old in the United Kingdom. Yes, Men for Missions is everything in its name. It's a men's organisation. Dwight Ferguson, who founded Man for Missions 60 years ago, noticed one thing, that it was the ladies that always outweighed the men in gospel services and conferences, missionaries around the world. It was always ladies that stood up. Dwight Ferguson had one thing on his mind, Where are the men? Sixty years later, we can say the exact same thing. Where are the men? This booklet has been produced basically with the history of men for missions over the past 60 years, how it was started, how it was started in the United Kingdom as well as in America. And if you're anything like me, there's... You always like photographs. There's a number of photographs in the middle. 
to just show, the, show you what my information is about. But as you go into it, there's stories. Stories from Georgina Bailey from Northern Ireland, who served God on a team out in Spain. Marlene Rainey, who served God on the mission field, a single girl, and went out on what men for missions meant to her, working there in Spain. Margaret Saunders, her passion for prayer with her husbands for the, for the land of Spain. And then, I mustn't forget my own two daughters, Stephanie and Leanne Sloss, what God has done in their lives working in the south of Ireland on short-term mission teams. Take one. I have plenty of them with me. If you want two, if you want three, if you want four, please take them. Pass them on. It's coming up to Christmas, so it's always good to have something that wee bit different for, for people uh, at this Christmas period. It is good. It's good to serve the Lord in these closing days of time. How did I get to this place? How did we get to this place and in this juncture of our lives? Well, like each and every one of us, I was born. But I, I believe God blessed me with uh, godly parents. I came into a home that knew and loved Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour. From a very early age I knew that I needed to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour. I was brought up through Sunday school, church, a brethren Sunday school in the afternoon, a gospel meeting on Sunday night, and every time the mission came to the area, we were took along as children. I came into a hard-working family. My father was a farmer, and we knew what hard work was. It was somewhere in my early teens, whenever I was uh, 11 years of age, to be in fact, um, the 2nd of December, a Sunday night, I went to a mission hall. And there, Jim Smith, an OMS missionary from Columbia, was home on furlough. Jim preached. Don't ask me what he preached on. But as I was going out and shaking his hand at 11 years of age, Jim asked me, was I going to be in heaven? I knew the answer. It was no. I went out through the door and I had to come back in. I knew no now it was the Holy Spirit prompting me and saying, Tonight is your night to get right with God. Jim led me to the Lord with John four verse twenty four. Sorry, John five twenty four. Most assuredly I say unto you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into judgment but has passed from death into life. 
At 11 years of age, on the 2nd of December, I passed from death into life. Yes, like every other young person, perhaps I went through school. I maybe went back and forward, but then I went to Lockrie College, Agriculture College. And at that point in time in my life, I had to make that decision. Was I going to follow the world or follow God? I took that choice and I followed Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour. Then, spent, spent a year at Lockwood College, came home to farm, and then thought, car license, what about a wife, next of all? <laughs> so off we started, a number of us going around the country to different things, seeking a good wife. Northern Ireland's not that big, as many of you know. So I decided to cross over into that foreign part of the world called Irish Republic, um, Ireland. That foreign, foreign land. And God gave me a good wife. We praise God for her. She has been um, a blessing to my life. She has been a strength of terror to me. Um, God has brought us through many, many trials. Whenever our first daughter was born, Audrey um, took uh, postnatal depression. Just under two years later, after our second daughter was born, Audrey took severe postnatal depression. Those were hard days. Days where it was always black. The sun never rose. But in those days, and it was for many, many years, as Audrey suffered postnatal depression, we had two roads to go. Walk away from God or get closer to Him. We praise God that in those days, Audrey and I got closer Closer to each other, but closer to our Heavenly Father. We praise God for our two girls. Um, Stephanie, our eldest, and Leanne, our youngest. Remember them. Remember us as a family as we move forward in God's will. Thought I was going to farm for the rest of my life. Once again, God spoke into our lives, to my life. 2001, 2002, I went to Belfast Bible College on a day release program. Um, God spoke in once again, and I enrolled for three years in Belfast Bible College on a, a, a college program. As I enrolled for my three years at Belfast Bible College, I sold our farm, sold our home, and moved. We thought that 
God would wait, walk into a job at the end of three years in God's ministry. But God had other things to do in our lives and my life. He came whenever I was finished at Bible college. I walked into a local grocery farm one, one evening. The boss of that grocery firm says, Well, Robin, what are you doing now? I goes, Paul, I'm finished college. I don't know. God hasn't opened any doors. Will you drive a transit van for me for the summer months? I became one of those famous, famous white transit van drivers. As I said this morning, we do own the road. You car drivers shouldn't be on the road. Whenever you step into a white transit van, you, you, you can drive a van. Drove a van for seven years. Um, never had an interview for the job. Um, only towards the end of my seven years with J.C. Stewart's and Marco Felt, I actually got a contract. Uh, and the only reason I got a contract was because I was there long enough to get a pension. Um, so that's the way I got a contract. Those were good years. Those were years where God was teaching me uh, how to work with people, how to reach into people's lives. Towards the end of... Um, 2009 or 2008 God once again spoke into my life he came and I got involved with the congregational church there in Ireland the congregational church has a bible, uh, bible college where you can do a correspondence course I enrolled in that correspondence course and I planned over the next four years uh, to do that correspondence course. That was going to give me a Bachelor of Theology. For somebody who left school. A few years ago. Without. Uh, well. GCSE. An A level. I didn't need them because I was going to farm. But God turned things around and I now was planning to do a Bachelor of Theology. Over four years. Had my first module done from May to, to Christmas. The snow came in at Christmas. And uh, the first Sunday after Christmas I went out to start the car. Uh, to warm the car up for the family going to church. And... Uh, I never came back in because there was a, a lump of ice on the ground. I went over in the ice. I broke my ankle in three places and dislocated it. Instead of my foot being like that, it was like that. And uh, God has a sense of humour. I went to the Royal Hospital in Belfast. There the they put me in, well, I spent a week in the Royal, and uh, my tutor was from Belfast. He came to visit me and he says, Praise God, I'll be able to bring you all the work every time you come up and down. 
and you'll be able to, to do your, your college work. Thank God my ankle's okay. The surgeon took a look at it in theatre and he said we won't have to put pins on it or, or screws on it. He just straightened it up, stuck a plaster on. For seven weeks I went back and forth every week to, to the Royal to get it x-rayed. In the 17 weeks that I tra- was off work, I penned 45, 48,000 words and received my, my uh, degree. That was opening the way to men for missions. Going back once again to the early 2000, Audrey and I, God was working in our lives. We started to to look and to see about mission work, to be more interested in God's mission field. We got more interested in the work of One Mission Society. There was a prayer meeting not so far away from our home. We started and we travelled to that. People from different denominations with one thing in mind, to pray for God's work and his kingdom. I then got involved with Men for Missions. Ended up men, ordinary working men, being involved in the mission field. I had the privilege of going to Spain to work out there in the camp centre and just to rub shoulders with ordinary men to pray with them and to, to work with them to be with the missionaries there's something special about it the years passed on Coming back up to uh, 2011, 12, God opened the door to men for missions. The man before me, he stepped down, retired, and one mission society put out for a full-time men for missions national director. Audrey and I prayed about it. We sought God's face. And God give us Joshua 1.9 Be strong and of a good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. For the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever you go. God was bringing us into the work of men for missions. I applied. And just before I went for my interview... God gave us Mark 1 verse 17. Jesus said, follow me and I'll make you become fishers of men. On the 1st of January of this year, I came in full time. We spent two and a half years almost fundraising. Still in that process. uh, One Mission Society is a, a mission that works by faith. We step out in faith. We seek God in faith. 
and we move forward in faith. Men for missions is the layman's voice. We encourage men to come and ladies, but especially men, to come out onto the mission field to use their practical skills. Whatever God has given you, whether you're a farmer, a builder, a person who sits at a desk, come do something for Jesus Christ. If you can paint, build, plumb, clean, or if you can't do anything at all, come with us. Warren Hardick, my, my American boss, says that men for missions is not for the exclusion of ladies, but for the inclusion of men. Yes, we are a men's organization. We encourage men, but ladies, we need you to send your husbands, your sons, your son-in-laws out onto the mission field. We need you to pray to come with us as well. Take the booklet and read how ladies have been used on the mission field with men for missions. One Mission Society was formed in 1901 by Charles and Letty Cowman. American people, but they went out <coughs> seeking God's face. A Japanese pastor went over to America to be filled with the Holy Spirit at the uh, tail end of the 1800s. God brought them across the path of Judy Nakata and Charles and Letty Cowman's past came to, between each other. Judy Nakata told Charles and Letty Cowman of how souls were dying and going to hell in Japan. Charles and Letty Cowman in 1901 went to give up everything in America and went, went out by faith to work in Japan. God has blessed one mission society over many, many years. God has used the mission. We're now in 74 different countries around the world. Countries such as Brazil, Spain, Cuba, Haiti, Indonesia. There's other countries that you will not read about because they're closed Muslim countries and we have people working in them. Praise God. God is moving. Man for Missions was formed in 1954 to encourage men. Since I even went to Bible college many, many years ago, God has placed upon my heart the heart of prayer. I want to encourage men to stand up and be men in these days. If men would take their place in society, 
in their families. Our families would be in a better place. Our, our marriages would be in a better place. Our children would be loved. Our churches and this great country that we love, United Kingdom. Men, we need to stand up. Stand where God wants us to be. And as I have came into men for missions, that has been laid more heavily on my heart that we need to be men. Men of God in these closing days of time. That's basically my testimony. I hope I've given you a glimpse of what Man for Missions is about. I want to see men. I want to see ladies going out onto the mission field for a weekend. We have work in Manchester at head office. Come and paint, tidy up, cross the Irish Sea in July on the west of Ireland. Anything up to, on the last Sunday of July, anything up to 20,000 pilgrims will climb a mountain, 2,510 feet. Many of them will climb in their bare feet to seek indulgences because the Catholic Church has told them to climb that mountain. And we as God's people know that Jesus Christ as he stretched his hands upon that cross and died and bowed his head and said, It is finished. It was finished. But 20,000 plus dear Catholic people will climb a mountain in the south of Ireland. Come with us. Reach into their lives. How How do you reach into their lives? Over the past, what, 15 odd years we have been uh, giving out a cup of orange juice as they will come down two and a half hours up, two and a half hours down whatever time around the top to do your penance and and, uh, mass they come down, they're parched, they're hungry, they're thirsty many of them maybe soaking wet we stand with a cup of orange juice giving that out free Beside that person handing out the orange juice is a gospel leaflet on St. Patrick. There's two St. Patricks. The Irish St. Patrick and the St. Patrick of Ireland. The Irish St. Patrick is a Patrick that has been made up. Patrick of Ireland was God's man in God's time in God's place and if you read his history if you read anything about Patrick he was a man of God that gospel leaflet is just handed out St Patrick they'll take it because it's Patrick they'll read it if you come with us we will give you a crash course on how to make a cup of orange juice from a water tank and a transit van mm-hmm. to hand the cups out. 
we can do anything up to 10,000 cups in a day in 12 hours. We had a few Americans over one year and they said, how many fluid ounces of orange juice do you pour to how many fluid ounces of water? We go, this much, this much, and then get it out. That's the way it goes. You don't have time. It's serving the people. They have thanked, many of them have thanked us in the name of Jesus or in the name of God for being there. Reach into people's lives. Do something practical. Come with us. Men, if you come on Tuesday night, you'll hear more about the work, uh, the teams that's going on throughout the world and that's been trying to get get up and going. Let's stand and pray, please, to change your positions. Father, as we just turn to thy precious word, Father, we thank you for this uh, place, Father, that your word goes forth week after week, day after day. Father, we pray a blessing upon this building and, and everything that goes forward from this building. Father, we thank you for the people here tonight. Father, you know their needs, you know their heart's desire. Father, we ask that you will come and meet with them. Be close to them tonight. And Father, pour in that, that oil, Father, that they need in each and every one of their lives. So Father, we, we thank you for what we've already heard, Father, about men for missions and one mission society. But Father, as we turn to your precious word, Father, close us in with yourself. Father, help us to, to just look on your word, Father as we spend these closing moments of tonight. So, Father, be with us. Guard us, protect us. And, Father, then as we leave this place, Father, we will say it was good to be here because we met with the true and living God. So, Father, come and meet with us, for we ask all in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Charge... Charles Fraser Smith was born in 1904, died in 1992. My wife always tells me I have a fascination with 007. I love watching it anytime the films are on and to see the gadgets that that Q made. But Charles Fraser Smith was the original Q. He made gadgets during the Second World War, fountain pens with compasses, pencils with maps, shaving brushes with those secret compartments. But he said this, I always think of death, not as a sunset, an ending, but a sunrise, a beginning. Death for the true follower of Christ is an entrance to real life. This starts at the this starts at the death of the cross. It is the greatest event in life, the climax of life, the entrance into something magnificent. 
in the beginning of true and perfect living. We can say with Paul, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. In this way, death is swallowed up in victory. As I read that from Charles Smith, I thought it was so true. We're going to look at four people tonight. Briefly, quickly, four people. Two men looking for the cross. Two men looking at the cross. But if I was first of all to... I'll give you another quotation. If I was to mention Rachel Scott, perhaps many of us will say, who is she? But Rachel Scott said this, What if you were to die today? What would happen to you? Where would you go? Tomorrow is not a promise, but a chance. It may not be there for you. After death, then what? Where will you spend eternity? Will you have an eternal life with your loving Heavenly Father? Or will you be ripped from the arms of your Saviour Jesus Christ? Eternity is in your hands. Change it. Rachel Scott said those words. A young girl if I say to you Columbine High School men of our minds will flood back to the 20th of April 1999 there was 13 people killed one teacher 12 pupils were shot Rachel Scott was one of those young people at 17 years of age her story can be read and Rachel's tears by her father Darl Scott if you haven't read the book please get it it's a very very touching moving read Rachel and her friend was shot that day trying to crawl away to safety her grabber grabbed Rachel by the hair and said do you believe in God Rachel replied, you know I do. Then be with him. And he put the gun to her head and blew her brains out. That beautiful hymn, we all know it. Life at best is very brief like the falling of the leaf, like a binding of the sheaf be in time. Fleeting days are telling fast, then the die will soon be passed, and the fatal line be passed, be in time. Richard Scott was a young girl far, far beyond her years. A young girl who walked closely with her Lord and Saviour. She paid that ultimate price and her because of her faith she was asked do you believe in God what about us tonight 
Two men looking for the cross. Two men looking at the cross. Job, perhaps we're told it's the oldest book in the Bible. Job had seven sons and three daughters, a very wealthy man. Job lost his children, his wealth, all in one swell swoop there in chapter 1. He lost his health and three of us so-called friends came to to uh, help him. We know them as Job's comforters. But everything that God, that the devil done on Job, everything that the devil tried to do on him, Job did not turn his face away from God, his father. Job he said, For I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he will stand at the latter day upon the earth. Job said, I know my Redeemer liveth. Job had only creation around him. Job had nothing else to point him to, to God, his Father. He had no book of the law, no Old Testament. But Job walked as a righteous man and he knew that his Redeemer liveth. Job had faith. Even whenever he was going through trials, Job had the faith to see, to know that his heavenly Father would look after him. The second man that we, we see in the Old Testament that was looking for the cross was Abraham. In chapter 22 of Genesis, we see that Abraham was tested by God. God wanted to see Abraham's obedience to his call. From where Abraham was to Mount Moriah, somewhere around 50 to 60 miles of a walk. God didn't want Abraham to perform a child sacrifice because the heathen nations around practiced human sacrifice. God condemned human sacrifice. We can read that in Leviticus chapter 20 verses 1 to 5. But God wanted to test Abraham to see what was the most important thing in his life, his family, his wealth, or God the Father. That must have been a, a desperate, desperate time in Abraham's life whenever he heard God say, Take your son, your only son, and sacrifice him. Job knew that as the Redeemer liveth, Abraham, Abraham was looking also for the cross. Genesis 22, 
verse 12 the voice came from heaven do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to know for I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son your only son from me Abraham lifted his eyes and looked and behind him was a ram caught in the thicket with his horns So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt sacrifice instead of his son. But earlier in verse 7, Isaac, that son, said to Abraham his father, Father, and he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Look, the fire, the wood, where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, My son, God will provide for himself a lamb for that burnt offering. And the two of them went together up that mountain. Job was looking at the cross, for the cross, and he knew that his Redeemer liveth. Abraham was looking for the cross. And he said, My son, God will provide himself for himself the lamb for the burnt offering. Abraham was a great man of God. The strongest trees are not found in the thick shelter of the forest, but in the open, where, where winds from every direction bear down upon them. Fierce winds bend and twist until they become giant in stature. These are the trees toolmakers seek for the handles for their tools because of the wood strength. It is the same in the spiritual world. Remember when you see a person of great spiritual stature, the road you must travel to walk with them is none where the sun will shine. And wild flowers will always blossom. Instead it's a way of steep, rocky and narrow paths. Where the winds of hell will try to knock you off your feet. Where sharp rocks will cut, cut you. Prickly thorns will scratch your face. Poisonous snakes will slither and hiss around you. The path of faith is a narrow sorrow Joyful suffering and healing, comfort, tears and smiles, trials and victories, conflicts and triumphs, and also hardships, danger, beatings, persecution, misunderstanding, trouble and distress. Yet, and we can say it with Paul, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Two men looking for the cross. Two men looking at the cross. We'll turn to those beautiful words and, and look. And look chapter 23 verse 39 
And then one of the criminals who hanged blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the others answered, rebuking him, Do you not even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation? And we and indeed justly, for we received the due reward of our deeds, for this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Assuredly, I say unto you, Today you will be with me in paradise. We all know the cross. We all know the pain of the cross. That pain that was inflicted by that Roman cross. There were two men lifted, one on either side of our Lord Jesus Christ. The authorised version uses a beautiful word for these two criminals. The authorised version calls them malefactors. As you dig into the, the Greek for malefactors, it carries two meanings. Evil work, evil doers. These were evil men, one on either side of our Lord Jesus Christ. These were terrorists, but these two men were looking at the cross. Jesus was hung between two very bad men. Jesus took the place of Barabbas. Barabbas. I believe was the chief, the, the, main, the main person that should have been hung on that centre cross that day. Barabbas was, was perhaps the most important of those criminals that the Roman uh, people, or the Roman soldiers caught. But once again, Scripture here, Hebrew, uh, the Hebrew language, a beautiful play in words. Barabbas, son of Papa. Jesus died in Barabbas' place. He took that place so Barabbas could go free. Jesus took his place that day but we as adopted children of God have been saved because of the work of the cross that gives us the right to call God our father Abba Abba father Papa Barabbas son of Papa we are criminals. We are malefactors. We should be hung upon that cross. But Jesus took our place that night, that day. So we can go free. Tonight, we have looked at four men. Two men looking for the cross. Two men looking at the cross. Job said, I know my Redeemer liveth. 
Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself for a lamb, that burnt offering. One of those malefactors, one of those criminals. Sin, Jesus Christ. He saw the lamb upon the cross. And he bowed his head and asked Jesus for forgiveness for everything that he done. Eternity is in our hands. How often do we go out and buy a new car, washing machine, even go in and have life insurance? We prepare for everything, every eventuality in this world. And how often do we neglect whenever we will close our eyes someday and will never waken again on this scene of time? Leonard Ravenhill said, Great eagles fly alone, great lions hunt alone. Great saints walk alone with God. J.I. Packer. How many Christians live their lives packed up and ready to go? How many of us are ready to go? To go home? I quoted this this morning. Abraham Lincoln, that great father of the United States, I've been driven many times to my knees by the overwhelming conviction that I've nowhere else to go. My wisdom and that of all about me seemed insufficient for that day. Are we a praying people? Are we a people who have seen the cross? Are we a people that will keep one eye on the cross and do the work of God the Father? Jesus said, my will, my meat is to do the will of God. We must be about his work because we are in the closing days of time. We look around our world We see what's happening. We see this great this great country that we love so much and how far in the last hundred years have we walked away from God and the Church of Jesus Christ has been silent within the United Kingdom. It's time for us to waken. It's time for the church to sit up. Because two men were looking for the cross. Only one man seen the cross. One thing to encourage you. We work in Haiti. We have a one mission society has a, a radio station uh, 
The mission bought it the way back in 1964-65, and uh, it works on AM frequency. I know nothing about AM frequency. I'm told it goes over the contours of the hill, over mountains, and uh, that that's a good thing because Haiti is a very mountainous but yet a very beautiful part of the world. Haiti was dedicated for 200 years to Satan through the Voodoo religion. The anniversary was coming up and uh, a lot of prayer went around the world for, for Haiti. We praise God that Haiti uh, once again uh, has been reclaimed and been prayed for Jesus Christ. The Church of Jesus Christ is growing within Haiti. God. Um, we all know an earthquake happened um, a number of years ago and Haiti is still in a very, very bad place. Uh, we as Men for Missions have a building program, a house, we build houses out there. The South Korean Church actually give a lot of money uh, to this building program and we build 16 foot by 20 foot homes uh, I can go up within one week and uh, we, we, we build these homes but Haiti has that radio station that radio station works 24 hours a day 7 days a week producing God's word so people can listen to it producing good music so people will listen to it health and hygiene weather forecasts why does the mission have a radio station because 80% of the population of Haiti cannot read or write many people's lives have been changed for God's honour, for His glory, because of a solar-powered radio. Telling the folks last night that there was a, a village, a voodoo village, a well-known voodoo village within Haiti, and uh, the missionaries would always prayed about going to it never had the opportunity of going to it but last last year or year and a half ago they had the opportunity of going to it they packed up all their stuff radios uh, to go up to it and as they went up to reach into that village where they thought they were bringing Jesus Christ for the first time they were met with a church of a hundred 50, 170 people. As the missionaries began to ask, How did you get here? Who came to tell you about Jesus Christ? They were pointed to one lady in the corner. She came from Capetian up into the mountains with a solar powered radio. Wow. It was that radio that that church was built on. It was that radio that was teaching that church God is moving. Mm -hmm. God is doing amazing things. We all know that 
just on across from the next island across from Haiti is Cuba. Cuba is a well, uh, still is a communist controlled country. Um, Fidel Castro uh, stepped down a few years ago and the boy that came in, I can't remember his name, that came in uh, said that there will be no more church buildings. Um, praise God he said that. There will be no more church buildings. Because the church started to think we can't have a building. But we'll have it in people's homes. The house church in Cuba is expanding at a phenomenal rate. Cuba is being reached for God. Even before it was open to the missionaries to come into Cuba, the airwaves from Haiti, they were listening to God's word. God was moving in Cuba whenever it was a close country. God is moving across the world. Are we up and about God's business? We need to be a praying people. Because it's only whenever we pray that he will move. We look at all the revivals throughout this land of ours. And we always can trace it back to those people who prayed. Prayed that revival down. Let us be encouraged in the place of prayer. I finished with a poem of our founder's wife, Letty Cowman. She said this, Finish thy work, the time is short. The sun is in the west. The night is coming down, till then, think not of rest. Rest, finish thy work, then rest. Till then, rest never. These are the best days that we are living in for the kingdom. We can see the Great Commission fulfilled. If we are up and about the Father's business, will we do it in this generation or will we leave it to another generation? We live under the Great Commission. We must do the Father's business in these closing days of time. Amen. Amen. Thank you.